everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us again for another episode of Real Parables. I'm Devin. This is Graham and Matt. We're ministers here at La Mesa Church of Christ. And uh, for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Tangled, great Disney uh, movie. Um, but if you're new to this podcast and you haven't uh, heard of it before, uh, what we do is we take some popular Hollywood movies and look at them in a different light. Um, Hollywood typically gets a bad rep for being not the most Christian of environments for for movie themes. Uh, but what we like to do is take movies that uh, we enjoy and think could be applied to a deeper meaning and make real-life Christian themes out of them. So basically, we make parables out of movies that we enjoy or maybe don't enjoy, but uh, we take popular movies and turn them into parables, and that's kind of what we're going to do here today with Tangled. Have we watched a movie yet that we didn't enjoy? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they've all, thus far, they've all been movies that on some level we enjoy. Which is... Yeah. Whether well, it's they're so awful they're funny, or... Yeah. That's, that's mostly because we're the ones choosing these movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be so interesting <laughs> at some point for other people to say, hey, I want to know what you think about this movie. Can you try this one? Yeah, in the future, maybe we'll do a poll and see if uh, yeah. have have you guys, our audience, choose uh, the movie for us. That'd be but, a fun Facebook poll. Just to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We give a list of 20 and we pick <laughs> the top five that we're going to be in the next ones. But yeah. So uh, today, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, this very famous Disney movie, uh, Tangled. Um, it's, it is honestly, it is my favorite Disney princess movie. Yeah, mine too. Uh, and it's probably one of my favorite Disney movies, period. Uh, it is just fantastic. When it first came out, uh, our family, along with the teens, uh, you know, we watched it many times because it is such a, a, a great movie. Um, you know, it's kind of this, this, you know, adventure tale that is presented and we're going to be trying to glean lessons from Tangled uh, as we go through this you know what is a classic fairy tale told in a very mm -hmm. Disney kind of way it's not a uh, it's not a um, traditional telling of the the original story but it's very Disney there are as always spoilers in this post uh, if you haven't seen Tangled yet I don't know where you've been living for the past, you know, <laughs> 10 years, but whatever. Uh, continue at your own risk, or maybe better, uh, pause this, go watch Tangled, and then come back to this uh, podcast. But, you know, it is a great movie. You know, it starts with the classic, you know, fairy tale uh, trope. Uh, you know, once upon a time in a far away kingdom, a baby princess was born, right? And this princess has uh, golden hair, and it's golden because of the sun. Uh, her name is Rapunzel, which really doesn't make a lot of sense. I was curious where the name Rapunzel came from, and it's actually a German word that means lamb's lettuce, which is kind of like a lettuce that just wildly grows in fields that lambs like to eat off of. So I don't know where... Maybe they just like the sound of the word. It's based off of the Grimm Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. but... That involves the, the vegetation that the that is just a, was being stolen. It's just a weird name to give somebody lamb's lettuce. Yeah. Something lamb's eat. Okay. But anyways, so one night, an old woman who we come to know as Mother Gothel, uh, she is obsessed with this idea of staying alive 
forever. Uh, she broke into the castle and stole Rapunzel. Now, why would Rapunzel be uh, part of her staying alive forever? Well, when Rapunzel's mother was pregnant, she became very ill, and legend had it there was this magic flower that had the ability to heal those who were sick or injured, or in this woman's case, aging, and uh, could heal all those things. So all of the king's soldiers, they went out and they searched for this flower and they found it. And once they found it, they, you know, made it into, it looked like kind of like a tea or some kind of tincture or something yeah. of this flower. And, uh, you know, the mother was healed. You know, the, the flower's magical powers had worked, but unknowing to them in the, while she was drinking this magical flower, all the power from that flower went to Rapunzel afterwards. So uh, Rapunzel's hair uh, is what is the outward expression of what this flower does. Uh, so Mother Gothel, who had been using this flower's powers for what seems to be centuries, um, she was not pleased that that was taken from the forest and she was using it slowly. And here they came along and they just used the whole thing. So, uh, but then she realized that Rapunzel's hair had this power that had been stolen from her, so she stole Rapunzel. So Rapunzel, you know, the daughter of the king and queen of this uh, Disney city, you know, that lives in a palace, she grows up in this tall tower, and we all know this part of the story. You know, she grows up in this tall tower uh, far away from the castle, uh, and Mother Gothel never told Rapunzel who she really was. She never told her that she was the princess. Rapunzel grew up thinking the reason that she was hidden away was not because she was a kidnapped child, but because the world is evil, and the evil people in the world uh, want to only exploit her for her magic hair. Uh, she didn't realize at that point that uh, the real evil was the person that she was living with. So, But every year, Rapunzel, on her birthday, um, the kingdom... Her mom and dad had released these floating, you know, kind of like Chinese lanterns, which this is in Germany, Chinese lanterns, I don't know, whatever. So they released these giant, but it also has a chameleon in it, which would never live in Germany, but whatever. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to skate over some of those particulars. <laughs> it, but, uh, it is a Disney movie. <laughs> it is. So they released these floating lanterns uh, out of the hope that they would lead to this lost princess's uh, home. So Rapunzel could see the lanterns from her window, but she didn't really know what they were for a long time. She just kind of assumed they were stars that were in the sky, but all she knew is that she longed to see them, and she wanted to see them close up. Uh, but Mother Gothel, you know, she was the problem. She didn't want Rapunzel leaving the tower, ever. Uh, Rapunzel had never stepped foot outside of that room. That was it. She uh, claimed that she was trying to protect her, but in reality, Mother Gothel just wanted to keep all that power and ultimately wanted to keep that everlasting life, you know, for herself. Uh, she didn't want someone to realize that, uh, also they didn't want to realize that she was this princess. Um, but while Mother Gothel was away, uh, Rapunzel decided to leave the tower anyways. You know, she's 18 years old. Uh, and she enlists the help of somebody who breaks into the tower while running away from uh, the king's uh, guards. Uh, he's a thief and uh, a robber or whatever you want to call him. 
And, you know, after this, you know, back and forth, if he wants to get back the treasure that he stole, then he's going to have to take her to the, the lights, uh, which she now understands are lanterns in the sky. Um, so they journey to the castle. There's a whole bunch of fun adventures that happen on the way. Uh, once they're in the heart of the kingdom, Rapunzel is overjoyed. She realizes that th this is where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it was better than she could have ever imagined. And in that, that night, Rapunzel and Flynn, you know, they're out in the middle of the lake or the river or the sea, yeah. whatever it is. Um, and they uh, watch these floating lanterns go up into the sky and Rapunzel is captivated, right? She's captivated and she sees, uh, gets to see them and then she looks over to Flynn and they realize they're falling in love. And then after a series of unfortunate events that we'll talk about you know, later on, Rapunzel finds herself back with Mother Gothel and they're back in this tall tower. Uh, and she's sad that the adventure is over. She feels that she's been betrayed by Flynn. She can no longer be with him. But then suddenly everything starts to click and she realizes Am I the lost princess? Am I the one that everybody has been looking for all this time? And, and then at right, just the right time, Flynn comes to Rapunzel's rescue, but then he ends up getting stabbed by Mother Gothel, which for a Disney movie was pretty dark. I yeah. don't know that Disney does a whole lot of actual blood. Not what they're like really children's movies usually. Yeah, so um, stabs him in the kind of like in the liver area, you know, if you want to be specific. Uh, but, you know, the good news is, is Rapunzel's hair can save him. So she she asks, you know, the mother Gothel, if you just let me save him, I'll go with you and I won't even fight you, just let me save him. So uh, he goes over and he's trying to tell her, no, 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 you can't let her keep using you like this. So he grabs a piece of glass and cuts off her hair and that frees her from the grip of Mother Gothel, but it also means that there's no way to heal him now. Um, but, you know, things happen, and the, the power from that flower is still residing within her, and uh, he does heal, and they return to the kingdom. She's reunited with her long-lost parents, and they live happily ever after. You know, it's very um, fairy tale kind of ending, you know, and that's where we get to the end. Yeah. But, you know, I want to talk about some of the details from this movie, and, um, you know, you guys can jump in yeah. uh, with any details you want to share, too. Uh, the movie begins with Flynn. He's kind of the, the narrator of the story, um, and he's setting the whole thing up. Flynn says this, that a single drop of sunlight fell from heaven. Now, I don't know that this is that this whole movie was meant to be a direct allegory in any way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's easy to make it into that, but I don't think that was anybody's real intentions. Um, but, you know, if you just switch the letters around a bit, mm -hmm. you know, the sun who came from heaven entered the world. The sun brought light and healing, but that light and life was stolen by an evil person. Uh, the light was in this dark world, but the evil could not corrupt it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just kind of the broad scope, uh, the broad strokes of the whole 
first part of this movie. What do you guys think about? Do you think that was intentional? Do you think it wasn't intentional? You know, what are some of the parallels that we can, you know, tie in to the the broad strokes of this whole thing? Well, I, I really feel like they were probably inspired by some. The whoever made this film was probably a little bit inspired yeah. by some 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 kind cre- of creation, creation yeah. themes that you find in the yeah. Bible. Like it, it's, it does feel very Genesis when yeah. when you read it or when yeah. you hear hear yeah. the story being told. Yeah. 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 And there's, you can interpret this as being, like you said, you know, kind of the Genesis story. You can interpret it as, you know, Jesus coming to earth, dwelling in, you know, this woman, uh, Rapunzel, you know, who's being kept, you know, you know, she's still living in this dark world, but the world's not corrupting, um, her or the, or the light that is living inside of her, you know? You know, there's lots of ways I think we can tie it. Matt, do you have anything you want to add to that? I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's just, it's interesting to think about the whole, you know, she's the light, you know, she comes into the world and able to heal, and I think there's definitely some kind of... Direct tie-in? Yeah, some kind of direct tie-in, I think. I think it's not so much, I think, I think whoever came up with that, part of the story was thinking about maybe their own faith mm-hmm. you know that they were thinking mm-hmm. about you know because it's this, this baby that, that's born and comes in you know mm-hmm. has, is changes everything she's got this amazing power mm-hmm. so yeah I, I think there's definitely some kind of tie-in mm-hmm. and I love you know the fact that <clears throat> even though Rapunzel if you, if you watch the movie or if you're going to watch the movie, you know, you see that her personality is the light. You know, it is yeah. so bright and fun and full of love and hope and joy and all those things that, you know, if you go through the list where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, yeah. you know, it is, and maybe this could even be an allegory for the Holy Spirit dwelling yeah. in each one of us, mm-hmm. you know, that... Um, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of each one of us and it gives us the ability to have, you know, love, joy, peace, happiness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those are all the things that kind of, you know, define who she is. Mm -hmm. You know, she is a representation of the fruits of the Spirit. And even though she's living in, you know, the world with an evil person, it doesn't squash any of that out. And how true is that about our lives where, you know, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but as long as we let that spirit dwell and uh, grow us, you know, we call that, you know, in church talk, sanctification, you know, the process of becoming who we are meant to be because of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter how much evil is surrounding us, uh, even if it's living in our own home, it's not going to squash it out because the power of the Holy Spirit is more. You know, it's just far beyond whatever this world throws at us. Yeah. Even far beyond whatever Satan can throw at us. So I just think this is, the, this, the broad strokes of this movie are so incredible and worth really mm-hmm. digging into. And I really, the more I think about that aspect of the Holy Spirit dwelling in each of us, it just makes so much clear that that might even be a, a better allegory or parable yeah. for what we're talking about. Anything else? Okay. Not on that. Yeah. Okay, so Mother Gothel, um, 
has convinced Rapunzel, you know, how dangerous and how horrible the world is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the whole, that time in the tower, and she's been saying this for 18 years, um, that the world is horrible and evil and you can't trust anybody. There's even this song, right, you know, and the song's fun and she's very passionate about it. It's pretty convincing. Uh, that mother knows best, and if you've mm-hmm. seen it now, that song is stuck in your head for the next uh, 24 hours or so. Yep. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and the reality is, is she doesn't really lie, right? I mean, Mother right. Gothel's not lying. Yeah. That you can't trust the world. That there's a lot of dark, evil, horrible stuff out there. She's just not telling the whole truth. Mm-hmm. And that too sounds very familiar. What do you guys yeah. think? It, it uh, kind of reminds me of Satan tempting Jesus in the desert a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, she she's saying things that are very attractive. I'm going to give you protection yeah. and everything you ever want, but yeah. you have to stay here. Yeah. So it, it kind of just made me think of freedom versus protection. Yeah. Like, uh, do we want to, to live in a, a world where... A, everything's perfectly fine like kind of like a utopia but something you find in a lot of like utopia literature is those utopias end up becoming yeah. uh what was i can't think of the word uh, dystopian dystopias yeah. <laughs> because be, perfection is not realistic yeah. you need freedom and that's kind of uh, the, the position that mother gothel is yeah. is putting rapunzel in is i i can give you all this protection yeah. i can give you everything you ever need yeah. but it's not what she, that's not what yeah. she wants. I can give you the idea of a utopian future, but there's, it's an arrest on a lot of dystopian ideals. You know, you look at the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, well, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, that whole series. Yeah. You know, you have, you know, the people in Area 1, or whatever they call it, District 1. Yeah. That, yeah, they l- get to live that utopian yeah. You meant everything. Uh, Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Yeah. Said to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> I was like, that's a little confusing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, Hunger Games. That's the right one. But you have a, you know, District One has, you know, this um, utopian society. But then you have all the way down to District Nine, Ten, or is it Ten District? It goes down to thirteen, or up to thirteen. Yeah. So you know, you have all those people who are basically the slave labor. Yeah. You know, for the upper districts um so yeah it's utopian for some but others it is very dystopian and uh very dark i think i think especially you know when this idea of with you know with mother knows best and you know she's constantly invoking fear Mm -hmm. into rapunzel yeah and i think that's something that that satan always tries to do to us is he he fills us with fear he, he tells us, no, you can't do that. You can't go out and do this. If you do something bad, it's going to happen. Um, you know, don't go out and take these risks because, you know, you never know something bad, you know, will happen to you. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's these, you know, yeah, there are things bad out there, but it's not, but, you know, while, while mother is, you know, trying to show her the bad things, Rapunzel keeps thinking about, Look at all the beauty that I'm seeing just through my window. Mm. What more is out there? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. And she can't see very far. Yeah. Because, I mean, this tower is in the middle of this valley that's surrounded by giant cliffs. So yeah. she so can only see as far as the cliffs. So she can only see, like, in the sky. So when yeah. the lights, you know. Yeah. So she, all she's seeing is this beautiful thing that happens every year. Mm. 
but you know, mother saying, you know, no, because you you know you're gonna get hurt. I'm trying to protect you, but that's that's the lie. Is that she's not protecting her. She's she's hoarding her for herself. Yeah, she should at least made a good lie about what the lights really were. Yeah. Oh, those represent all the people they executed this year. <laughs> <laughs> what well, I think is interesting is like the the fear gets to her so much that the first he, like other person she actually meets <laughs> immediately just hits the frying pan because <laughs> yeah. they they have to be coming for my hair. That's yeah. what my mom's always told me. Yeah. And uh, Flynn is really like the first person to tell her the whole truth. Yeah. Like he just he flat out tells her uh, about the crown. I I stole this. Yeah. Um, and a horse chased me over here. I'm not here for your hair. Yeah. I'm here hiding from a horse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hiding from this crazy horse that acts more like a dog. And, it, and it's it's it just shows you that it's hard it's hard to like when there, when there's a lot of fear present in our minds. It's hard to trust people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that, and I think that's totally like a, a Satan getting getting in your head, convincing you that what someone's telling you is not oh, yeah. well, not that's... true. Yeah, that's the, you know, the the father of lies, you know, that you, the best way to lie, and take this from somebody who, I'm pretty good at lying, <laughs> the best way to tell a lie is to uh, have a whole lot of truths in there, mm-hmm. and then you just tweak the part that, yeah. you know, you need to, to make it more prevalent towards, or favorable towards you. Yeah. And that's exactly what she's doing. Yeah. There's a lot of evil out there, but... Uh, the evilest thing that exists in this area is who you're living with. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you that part. Yeah, but, yeah. There's there are robbers and thugs out there, but I'm a witch who would just as soon kill you if I could live for an extra hundred years because of it. Yep. Yeah. Plus all the all the guilt that she throws at her. Yeah. You know, you know, I can't believe that you wouldn't want to listen to your mother. Like, why would you want to leave me? And you know, and then just all the you know, you're getting kind of chubby in your neck, and it's like. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mama. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's there's a lot of uh, you know, and I, as we were you know watching this movie, and I was thinking about you know this song that she's singing, and you know uh, it's gonna be Rapunzel's birthday, and you know she she does make a big deal about it being her birthday. She wants to make something special for her. You know, she travels what seems to be a pretty great distance to go get you know whatever special birthday dinner there was so we were talking about a little bit as we were watching this movie and i want to talk about a little more you know do you think that uh mother gothel ever had genuine feelings of affection do you think it's possible for this woman who is of ill repute you know she's a a wicked uh witch so to speak but do you think it's possible for this person to have feelings of affection and how does that relate to the, the world that we live in? What when I was rewatching it, and you mentioned that while we were watching mm-hmm. it, it, it it was hard to to see if she really did have something in there, like where some like motherly instincts. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the the chance that she has to really like be there for the daughter that she's raised, mm-hmm. instead of taking advantage of her, she quickly just just throws neglect like mm. towards her daughter like she 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 no longer cares now that she knows the truth mm. oh you want me to be the bad guy yeah. i'll be the bad she guy. doesn't try to reconcile yeah which makes me think that 
even if there was like a little bit glimmer of mm. of motherly love that she had in there, it was completely outweighed by the greed that she had for her own self gain. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mountains. You know, when it talks about love and you know not hating. You know, and it says, you know, he says to love your enemies and mm-hmm. pray for those who persecute you. But you know, he turns around even. You know, they, he talks about even uh, even the sinners or the Gentiles or the tax collectors who, you know, fill in the blank. Even they love those who, you know, their family members and, yeah. you know, so on and so forth. You know, it just makes me think that, yeah, there's these wicked people, you know. I mean, Mother Gothel is clearly a wicked person. Yeah. But in spite of that, there's still some good in her yeah you you do see moments like yeah. her her wanting to give her a good birthday even though yeah she's not going to give her what she wants she still yeah. Yeah. wants to make her feel happy and you know theoretically she could have just locked her in a cell yeah. Yeah. for all these years she didn't yeah. have to treat her like a daughter she could have just treated her like a prisoner yeah true. you know so it just makes me you know think about even people who were totally lost in wickedness which she clearly is yeah you know she's She's consumed with selfish thoughts and actions, but, you know, because she still, uh, you know, is created by a loving God and therefore is um, a representation of that, being part of that creation, meaning that she is, uh, she has the spirit of God that's already there, you know, God created her, therefore she's like God in some ways. That's why we see these tinges of love. You know, they're corrupted most of the time by selfish thoughts and actions and desires, but, you know, they're still there. And I think this really helps me to, you know, when I think about people in the world, you know, people that are not good people, you know, or not, you know, the people that we would look at and they'd make us uncomfortable, you know, they would be people who were scary at times. There's still an aspect of God that lives in them. And, you know, is it possible that maybe Rapunzel made her feel a little bit more alive? You know, maybe because Rapunzel was the like we said, the embodiment of the, the Holy Spirit, you know, is it possible that maybe Mother Gothel had changed a little bit over the years? Because, you know, previous to that, it seems like she was living in isolation. She was pretty yeah. miserable, filled with anger and hate. But as she has this representation, this representative of the Holy Spirit, you know, did she start to regain a little bit of who she was, you know, over that time? And then... The thought of losing it, not only losing the hair, but losing that light that she had in her life. Is that also what made her, you know, so obsessed with getting her back? Mm-hmm. I think it might have. Yeah. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. Uh, but I do think that that is a reality in our world. You know, that even the people that we would say have the darkest souls still have a little bit of light in there. And if 
we have the opportunity as Holy Spirit filled individuals, it is possible and it's not guaranteed, yeah. but it is possible that you can reignite that spirit that is lying dormant. And no one, no one's truly gone. Yeah. She kind of see in a, yeah. if you watch the, the Marvel movies, you see that with Loki yeah. and, and yeah. Thor. Yeah. He's yeah. the God of deceit. Yet he eventually, that little bit of light in him mm -hmm. finally comes out. Yeah. He has good moments. Yeah. yeah. Another uh, thing kind of in that same scene that you see is the smolder, uh, which yeah. I, I thought was, that was, that was one of my favorite parts of the first time I watched this. Always made you me laugh. My smolder. Yeah. <laughs> the smolder. And it kind of made me think about uh, what a smolder really is. And it's, it's putting your, your best face forward, but it's kind of also, it's a lie. You're, you're trying to put, put an image of yourself in a way that isn't completely yeah. true because you want something out of it. And I kind of feel like we, we do this on a, on a day to day too. Like when somebody's like, just asks like, Hey, how are you? Like that you typically just say, Oh, I'm great or I'm good. Yeah. Just instantly mm -hmm. when, even when we're not, I'm just wondering what, why why do you think we do that? Why do you think we? I think that a lot of times the reason why we put on that false face is because um, maybe we're not ready to talk about it yet. Yeah. Or maybe we don't trust the person who's asking. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know if if somebody asks me, you know. Uh, somebody that I don't really know very well, if they ask me, hey, what's going on? And I don't know them very well, chances are I'm not going to tell them what's really eating me. Yeah. But if Brianna, my wife, you know, if she asks me, hey, what's going on? Chances, chances are, if I have a conscious understanding of why I'm not in a good mood or why I'm, you know, angry or depressed or whatever it happens to be, mm -hmm. I will talk to her about it because I trust her more. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of that, you know. So a lot of times we ask, hey, how's it going? And as the person asking, maybe we don't really want to know what's really going on. That's just part yeah. of our uh, our gut reaction. But also the reason why we say we're fine is because I don't want to talk about it, you know, or I don't want to talk about it with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think trust is kind of just a big theme that it runs is. through this this whole movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. When you look at, um, you know, even after she leaves the tower, you know, you see that popping up. You know, which made me think. You know, as they move forward, and you know, she's convinced Flynn to take her to see the lights. You know, Rapunzel steps foot for the first time on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, she's walked on floors before, but now her little That's hippie so barefoot, <laughs> her little hippie barefoot is now in the grass. Yeah. I mean, what do you think that experience would have been like after seeing it for all that time and now you're touching it, you know? And how do you think, uh, how can we relate that to when God first set foot mm -hmm. in the world? And I don't mean, you know, like in the garden where it said he walked with, Adam and Eve in the cool of the day because that was, you know, uh, that was different. Mm -hmm. You know, when you step foot in this world in the form of Jesus, what do you think that was like? You know, 
to experience human stuff. Yeah. Stuff that you'd seen from a distance but never really physically experienced. I well, It's probably both remarkable and terrifying mm-hmm. um, being in a completely new place. What you see in the movie, she, she gets super happy and sings and runs. Yeah. Frolics. Yeah, there's a little then, bit of an interpersonal conflict. Yeah, and then her. immediately is like terrified. Yeah, and uh, that kind of that kind of also reminds me of a, a like a Plato's imagery of a, of the cave. Yeah, uh, the shadows. Like, yeah, where all you know are shadows, and then as soon as you see 3D real life figures, yeah, you freak out and you run back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a, there's a there's positivity, but there's also like mm-hmm. fear, which mm-hmm. I I wonder I wonder if Jesus, when when he came to Earth as a human, if he felt kind of that like I'm really like here as a human, like I'm not just. I think the first time you had an upset stomach and had to have an emergency bathroom time, <laughs> yeah. and we all know what we we're talking about, yeah. to be descriptive. <laughs> yeah. But I think that would be kind of scary. Like, whoa, what am I gonna do? I gotta find. Oh, I'm gonna go. Yeah, you know. And I think this those little. Weird stuff that, uh, you know, he knows exactly why. Mm-hmm. Well, I probably shouldn't have eaten that. Yeah. But, um, you know, we, we we can't fully understand what it must have been like. And there's just no way for our human yeah. brains to comprehend what it was like for God to set foot. But I think there definitely was, I don't think it would be fear in like the sense of fear of death. Yeah. Or fear of bodily harm but there is fear of the unknown you know and finally realizing oh that's what this feels like Mm -hmm. you know i cut my hand or i burned my hand and that doesn't feel good yeah you know i knew that i wanted you know when i created mankind i knew that i wanted it to hurt so they knew to let go of something but i didn't realize how badly that hurt Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and not you know this is the different it's just, you know, experience is far different than conscious knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it must have been difficult. What do you think, Matt? You think it was, you know, what do you think it was like when Jesus first got to experience human existence? I think, you're seeing, there's a movie that came out a while back where Robin Williams played like a robot that over time like had like all these surgeries. Biocentennial like, Man. Yeah, something like that. <clears throat> Like, I like I imagine like, you know Jesus, like, you know, getting to like put his feet in the sand for the first time, you know, or, or like having his first, you know, meal. Like, what did it like? How different did it taste to him? Like just knowing this is like the first time I've ever had this. And when did he become conscious of that kind of stuff? Yeah, because I mean, he's a baby for like. You know, how long, how yeah. long a baby normally is a baby. <laughs> but, he's, but he's still God at the same time. Yeah. And so, like, you know, does he, is he, like, experiencing, like, like, a poopy-filled diaper? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, is he like, ooh, I don't like that feeling, or, is he, you know. Or mom must have had some broccoli tonight. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, you know, or, like, even, even later on, like, when he's in the desert, you know, when he's fasting, like, he's experiencing that hunger and that pain, Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if there's, like, I mean, I kind of struggle with the idea of, like, does Jesus experience fear? But I feel like there's got to be some of that. You know, especially, like, when he's in the garden and he's praying. Yeah. Because he's human. He's he's clearly afraid of what's about to happen. 
Yeah. He's not afraid about his ultimate destination, but there has to be fear about, I know what I'm about to go through is going to suck. Yeah. It is going to be painful. It's going to be agonizing. And then there's the fear of what is it going to be like to be, to take on the sin of the world and be separated for the first time from heaven, you know, from my father in heaven. And that's, that had to be terrifying. Yeah. You know, and that's because fear is a human emotion. So he would have had to, you know, if he's going to be empathetic to our, our needs, he would have had to have the experience of it. Yeah. I just think like, I, you know, I think about that. I think about like the first time, you know, when Neil Armstrong, you know, walked off of the studio and, mm-hmm. you know, Universal and, Studios. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when, when he, when he stepped off of the ladder and, you know, and, and touched the moon for the first time, like that's gotta be like such a amazing experience. And I feel like that's probably what, you know, Rapunzel is going through. Like, like she's putting, New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, you know, Rapunzel's like, she, you know, she, she comes down, she takes that leap of faith out of, out of the tower mm-hmm. and she, you know, repels down. Repelzel. Repelled. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I'll see, no, see, like, Rapunzel, Rapunzel repels. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, but, like, if she stops, you know, before her feet hits the ground and, and she and she touches her foot down. And I just, I think about just that feeling of, wow, I'm, I'm taking a risk. You know, I'm taking, you know, I've been told my whole life that I can't do this. I've been told my whole life that. You know, this is gonna. This is that. This is wrong. But then she touches that grass, and it's got to be like that feeling of wow. This feels so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like this is gonna be. This is gonna change my life. Yeah. How do you ever go back? Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's it had to be. You know, if you're and you're related that to God, it had to be terrifying and incredible at the same time. You know, for yeah. God to experience human existence. Um, uh, there's a scene that happens shortly after they make it out of the tower. Uh, you know, she has this little personal inner conflict. You know, what am I doing? I love what I'm doing. You know, back and forth. Yeah. Um, and then Flynn starts to catch on. Oh, this is really the first time she's ever been out of that tower. And she's, you know, gets a, a scared by his little bunny rabbit, right? I think so. Yeah, there's like this little rustling in the bushes, and you <laughs> yeah. know she's like cowering behind him, protect me, protect me, while she's holding her little frying pan, which the frying pan ended up being like the ultimate weapon for combat. <laughs> but um, she's you know terrified, and then this little bunny hops out, and she's still a little bit afraid. Like, what is this thing? Oh yeah, I'm okay. Um, so he tells her, oh yeah, if you're you got to really watch out for those robbers and thieves. Hey, let me take you someplace. Let me take you to the Cuddly Duckling. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, you think with a name like Cuddly Duckling, it would be, you know, this, you know, fun, cute little place to go. But it's kind of that, kind of like when you call somebody uh, Little Tony, but they're, you know, a real big yeah. guy. Yeah. You know, it, it is not a cuddly, uh, cute kind of place. Um, you know, they, they go to this bar, pub, whatever you want to call it, and uh, you, they walk in. And in there are very scary, not kind, and not the kind of people you really would want to spend time with. They literally are the robbers and the thieves and maybe even the murderers uh, in their area. But 
then you soon find out that everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. And more than that, everybody has a dream. And Rapunzel makes friends with these scary people. They sing a song about their dreams. And later, you know, at the end of this little scene, at the end of the story, you know, they these outcasts are not only friends with Rapunzel, but they become integrated into the kingdom. You know, they're no longer these outcasts that are living on the outskirts of town, you know, pushed away and feared. You know, now they're part of the kingdom mm -hmm. and they're able to uh, put their talents and dreams into place. They can play piano and they can be mimes and they can be a little drunk angel at the end. And um, there's, you know, just this really cool theme that um, you see, and it's something that we see in the New Testament as well, where you have Jesus, you know, here he is, uh, you know, the uh, prince or king of heaven, whichever way you want to refer to him, you know, he's Lord either way, and he is uh, not out socializing with, you know, the wealthy and the leaders, he's out there with the robbers and the tax collectors and the uh, prostitutes and the, the people that would have been outcasts in not only their society, but our society, yeah. you know, those are the people that Jesus is socializing with. And then maybe he even sang songs with them. I can see that Jesus yeah. as being somebody who would sing some songs, you know, maybe not, you know, drunken party songs. Some carpentry songs. Yeah. Maybe there, <laughs> there had to be, you know, like little, uh, uh, songs or chants that they would have, you know, all known. So maybe he would sit there at dinner and they would, you know, sing this uh, cultural song, maybe not even necessarily a religious song, just something mm -hmm. that's cultural uh, about sheep or something, you know. And, um, and then he, Jesus, you know, he invites those outcasts to be a part of his kingdom. And that is just such a, a cool parallel that you see in this movie, mm -hmm. you know, that the outcasts are invited in. They don't have to be uh, outcasts. There's even a song about that, right? Yeah. I'm not an outcast, whatever. Uh, there are no outsiders. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's just uh, some great, you know, parallels in that story that, you know, just really stuck out to me. Did you guys see anything else like that as you went through the... I think, movie, yeah. yeah, I think with with you know that scene in the ugly duck or the the, the fluffy, cuddly duckling, cuddly the duckling. cuddly duckling, yeah, like I see this. It's I think it shows what Jesus is capable of in our lives because you know we see we see him walk into this. We see you know Rapunzel walking in this place, and there's a guy with a hook hand, and like it's, yeah. it's kind of scary, and they all got these mean faces. But then you know, as we talked about earlier, her being the light, her being the you know, the one of healing, and she comes in and she, like, changes their hearts mm -hmm. and changes their minds to, you know, they have this kind of renewing of their mind, like like Paul talks about in Romans, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, like, they're thinking about, oh, I've always wanted to do this, you know, I've always had yeah. this dream of being a piano player, and, mm -hmm. you know, I want to play Mozart, you know, and instead I'm destroying the piano with my hook hand. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's just, it's just, to me, it's this beautiful picture of, of how, Christ can change us from the inside out. Mm -hmm. You know, when we allow the Spirit to work in us, that you know, it changes our hearts, it changes the way we think about other people, and you see that through these guys, who you know would have killed them any other day of the week. Yeah. 
but now all of a sudden they're singing and dancing together. They're they're like, hey, you guys need to escape. Here, come through this tunnel. Like, and then you know, at the end of the movie, where you know they all come to their they all come to their rescue. Mm-hmm. And I just I just see this like it's just it really shows me that the love of Jesus, the love of Christ, is something that can change any heart, mm-hmm. even the horses. Even the horses. <laughs> and, and it shows the best in people. Yeah. yeah. It kind of, her her being represent, represented as the light really just shines, makes the dark disappear and really yeah. just reveal. Except for Mother, that's all. <laughs> that's true. The one, well I think that's because she, she was cor- cor- using, corrupt, yeah. trying to corrupt She's, that. I think she was light. the embodiment of evil. But yeah, it's just, it's so cool to see how her her kindness and her all the fruits of the spirit that she is showing off all the time yeah. is impacting other people around her, including Flynn, who you know he, he has a total change of heart. You know, just mm-hmm. so many amazing things that you know when you show love and compassion to people, th- that it can change the world. Yeah, I think another thing to pull from this is the the whole having a dream. I think it's interesting that. As humans, God's given us all like dreams and aspirations, mm-hmm. like where, which are really, for most people, I think is the most motivating part of life to them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious why, why God gave us those. Like, of all the the morals that we have, why 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 is it typically like our dreams that like really drive us? Like, yeah. the the uh, the ability to aspire to something yeah different yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's. I think that's. Um, when I took a class in college, I think that was one of the things that, uh, you know, marked humans as being specifically separate from all of the rest of creation. You know, you know, a lot of people try and, you know, link us to, you know, having characteristics from different animals mm-hmm. here and there. But one thing that, you know, no other animal has the ability to do is dream about um, having something different than what they currently have. You know, they don't see that there's anything different out mm-hmm. there. They don't have the ability to, uh, what we would say is dream, but they don't have the ability to um, believe there's a, a change that could happen. You know, they, it's just not a concept that they have. You know, I, I read an article a few days ago that said that... Um, Humans are the only uh, beings that have uh, the understanding that I can learn from you something that I don't already know. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, primates don't have that. They assume that you know exactly the same thing I know, and there's nothing I could ever learn from you. Yeah. But humans, you know, deep down, we know that we can improve in our lives we can do something better with our lives and there's uh, that has to be a direct gift from you know that spirit that dwells in us you know i think that's part of what makes up the soul mm-hmm. you know i mean we we really don't talk about the soul very much um nowadays i mean it's something that used to be talked about a lot but, yeah you know if you're trying to you know nail down what the soul is or what the role of the soul is. I think that's part of it. Yeah. You know, aspiring to something better. Yeah. I think kind of like looking towards heaven. Yeah. Like what you, 
you you want to see you want to see a better world. I think is typically what a lot of mm. most dreams involve is a betterment of the world in some yeah. way or yourself, but yeah. which both would apply to yeah. a life in heaven. Mm. Yeah. So I definitely do think that's has something to do with it. Yeah. You know, one of the dreams that is talked about in this is, uh, you know, Rapunzel's dream. You know, uh, and she's able to actually live that dream out. You know, she. Uh, is in that boat with Flynn, mm-hmm. and she gets to see, uh, you know, the the first light that starts to come up, and she kind of has this very real conundrum. You know, she's terrified um, about the idea of living out her dream. You know, do you remember that conversation yeah. she had with him? Uh, you know, and there's it's kind of a two pronged problem because uh, on one hand, what if these lights aren't as amazing? is I always hoped they would be. Mm-hmm. You know, what if they don't live up to what I, I want them to be? But then there's the other side, and I think it's even a scarier side, is what if they are? What if they are as amazing as I've always dreamed? What if they're even more amazing than I always dreamed? Mm-hmm. How can I ever go back to my old life? Exactly. And I think that is a very real problem that we find ourselves in you know because once we have that new knowledge once we you know we aspire to something that is better and we 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 reach that uh it's pretty hard to go back you know from the first moment her foot hit the ground life was never going to be the same yeah you know she knew that this is good my bare feet on this uh tickly kind of grass is good and I want to explore more mm-hmm. you know and I think you know Mother Gothel knew that that mm-hmm. you have to repress that repress that repress that because as soon as you aspire to more and then reach it you know you've lost that control of that person which was Mother Gothel's biggest fear yeah. is losing control of Rapunzel mm-hmm. you know and, and I don't know if you guys want to talk about it time wise you might be in kind of close but you know, have we ever found ourselves in a similar situation to where, um, you know, we are on the cusp of uh, achieving something we've been aspiring to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, did you experience that fear that was setting in there? You know, I know I did when I was, um, you know, I was in school for a little bit. You know, there was... Um, about a year of preparation to go to school, um, but right at that moment where I was about to make that jump, because you know up to that point I was still living in Modesto, you know, still had security. I still had a job at Gallo that if I wanted to I could go back to. Mm-hmm. You know, they would hire me back in a heartbeat because I left on good terms. I was a hard worker. You know, they, even before I had my final day there, they offered me um, a promotion just to get me to, to stay there. So I had, you know, family, friends, uh, job security if I wanted it, you know, with awesome benefits. And that's all the stuff that I knew. But I knew that if I went, if I actually left and went to school, all that was going to change, you know, because... I would now be a part of what I wanted so badly. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying because 
I knew that I could never really go back. You know, I could go back and try and be content working at a factory, but I would never be happy there. Yeah. You know, I could force myself to do it for a while even, but I still knew that I wouldn't be happy. I would want to have more. And even now, thinking about life, you know, I can't imagine going back and trying to have, you know, uh, a, well, at Gallo it was six to six, you know, but I can't imagine going back and having that, nothing against Gallo, but that thoughtless life, Yeah. you know, where you, you don't get to be creative, you don't get to do any real problem solving, you know, you don't get to... Uh, spend time interacting with people about something you care about because you know as good as of a job as it was I could care less about making cardboard boxes you know <laughs> I had no desire to do that it meant absolutely nothing to me yeah. and I can't imagine working in an industry where I could care less about it mm -hmm. you know and I so that going back you know, making that that final leap and going to school, I knew that there was no going back, and it was scary. What about you guys? You ever experienced anything like that? Uh, I kind of felt that way when I left home for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I, I'd been I'd been excited to be on my own for like such a long time, but that like week before I leave home, mm -hmm. it really hit me like I'm I'm gonna be on my own. I'm about to be an Oki. Yeah. And it, it it made it even more difficult because my uh, my parents that same week had become uh, foster parents, mm -hmm. and uh, I as much as I wanted to go, I also wanted to experience new siblings, new siblings, and seeing them grow up. Mm -hmm. And that it 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 was just it was so much harder. But I knew that once I once I did it, I would I wouldn't regret it. Still, mm -hmm. like I I I knew that as soon as I got. To Oklahoma and had gone to college and really started to experience. I was like, yeah, this is. I'm so glad I, I made this jump and and went with my dream. Mm -hmm. And I I think a, a cool thing also that comes from this is like once you fulfill that dream, Flynn says you get to find a new one. Yeah. And it's once you I feel like once you get like that first like big dream accomplished, then the next one just becomes a little bit more easier to reach yeah I think I think for me it was when I moved out to California you know leaving everything that I knew in Tennessee leaving you know all my friends from band all my friends from you know church out there and coming out here to live not just visit but like you know yeah. eventually find my own place and you know live my own life I mean it was it was terrifying. Like I kept asking myself, like I'm on the plane flying out here, and I'm like, am I making the right decision? Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, and here I am. You know, doing worship ministry and and you know, just really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it was definitely terrifying at first. In that same scene, uh, you know, as these lights are floating up in the sky and they're as Flynn and Rapunzel are looking into their eyes. Uh, we don't have to talk about it, but I, I just want to... The, there's some lyrics in a song that they sing mm -hmm. that uh, if you didn't know where they were coming from could easily be seen as Christian lyrics mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Listen to these lyrics. At last... This is the chorus. 
At last I see the light, and it's like a fog has been lifted. And at last I see the light, and it's like the sky is new. And it's warm and real and bright. And the world has now somehow shifted. All at once, everything looks different now that I see you. You know, you could easily translate that into a worship song. For mm -hmm. sure. I mean, no problem. You know, you have to shift the focus from you, you know, Flynn and Rapunzel to yeah. a love song to God. But everything else there, you know, that idea of, you know, when you first see the light of the truth of God, you know, it is just in the most incredible feeling. I hope that all you are listening have gotten to experience, you know, that fog being lifted and actually seeing this new, uh, real bright world that he offers us. Uh, and we don't have to talk about it more unless you guys have something you want to say. But, you know, I, I encourage you to find those lyrics and just kind of read through them and think of them as a love song to God because they really are very cool and very powerful if you think of them that way. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think they are extremely powerful just talking about how how amazing the, the light is. Mm -hmm. um, which she, I, in the beginning of the movie she talks about how the pillar of lights she just felt drawn to them like mm -hmm. they were leading her somewhere. I feel like God does that in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, he he really is a light in our life that is so distracting that we have to go to it. Mm -hmm. Almost like a bug being attracted to a bright light. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I that I think that song perfectly encapsulates encaps I can't talk. Encapsulates that image of of God's light being the guide to mm -hmm. a good life. Mm -hmm. A happy life. Mm -hmm. I agree. Oh. Yeah. And now we're getting tight on time. So, um, but there's two points, two more points in the final aspect of this movie that I think we need to talk about because the way this movie wraps up is really cool. You know, so the first one I want to talk about is Rapunzel and, mm -hmm. uh, and betrayal. Okay. So Rapunzel, the first time, you know, Flynn's trying to do what's right. You know, he's trying to get out from this, uh, guilt of, um, you know, stealing from the kingdom and doing all this bad stuff. So he just wants to confront his partners that he kind of ripped off and give them back the crown. Uh, so he goes and does that, but he gets kidnapped and tied up and so on. Mm -hmm. But Rapunzel, in that moment, she feels that she's been betrayed, that all Flynn really wanted for me was the crown, that he just used me until he could get his hands on it, and now he's gone. Uh, you know, and she's just crushed by that thought. And then... Uh, soon after that happens, you know, she's confronted with the truth that her mother uh, isn't her mother, but is in fact uh, the witch who has kidnapped her when she was a baby to take advantage of her power. She finally realized, oh, you are the evil that exists in the world that I need to be afraid of. And, you know, she feels that betrayal again, you know, so she's been bombarded with, she realized that you know, Flynn didn't really betray her that, you know, she did something horrible to him. She's not really fully sure what that is. But now she realizes that her whole life has been a betrayal because, you know, she's a kidnap victim. So, you know, how does she handle it and how should we handle 
betrayal because betrayal is something that inevitably will happen in our lives. Yeah. Uh, so how do we as followers of Christ handle betrayal? And, um, you know, I, I kind of sprung that, but, you know, I'll, I'll start. You know, the, my approach is I realize that everybody is flawed. You know, Paul tells us in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, so I am sure at some point I have been guilty of betraying somebody. Uh, maybe I'm not even fully conscious of the severity or that I did it at all. But I am just as guilty as everybody else is on one level or another. So that's, you know, coming to understandings that I am guilty and how would I want to be treated in that situation? Well, you know, first I would want to be offered forgiveness. Now you can't force anybody to accept forgiveness, but you can offer it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think that is a, a first step. And the only reason why you would do that is because you have genuine care for that person. I would even say that the reason why betrayal hurts so much is because there is genuine care there. So I think mm -hmm. for me, it's offering forgiveness even if you don't think they're going to take it yeah. or take you up on it. What do you guys think? What, how do you think we should handle betrayal? I think part of it is being, or at least trying to be quick to forgive, mm -hmm. um, but sl slow to forget. Mm -hmm. To Which are... Remembering what a betrayal is, I think, very different than holding that over someone's head. Mm -hmm. um, I think people in the past that have that have wronged me, I've I've tried my best to forgive them for what they did, yeah. but I, I still remember what they did and I don't and how that you, how that hurt me yeah. in the past. Yeah. I'm no longer wishing you ill will. Yeah, but yeah. I also don't want you to hurt me again. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean because that person has betrayed me that I, they will never have my trust again. Yeah. It's just it's it's that much harder to, to regain. Yeah. But I feel like something like that can build a, like a more stronger relationship with someone. Yeah. I because, agree. Because it, sh it shows that even when the worst possible thing happens where your trust is completely broken between your relationship that if if it can be rebuilt from that, then that can just create that much stronger of a relationship. Yeah, it shows that um, the person forgiving has enough love to have the willingness to forgive. And if the person is willing to work to get trust back, then it shows that they care enough about their relationship to do anything to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, I think you're, you're right on with that. I mean, I you know when I think about people in my life that I've you know forgiven, you know there's been times where I've I've held on to that before I you know I've I've held on to you know not forgiving, and then I finally let go and I and I forgive and it and it makes me feel more whole it makes me feel mm -hmm. more you know it I no longer I don't longer have to attach myself to that. You know, I don't yeah. ever have to, like, let that weigh me down, yeah. like all of Rapunzel's hair, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, it's just, how do you, you know, you, 
you know, you're, you're carrying around all this, all this anger and frustration and, and, and pain when you don't have to, you can let it go. You can, mm-hmm. you can choose to, to forgive. It doesn't mean that you forget or that you, you know, start trusting immediately, but it just, it means I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I'm not going to mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm going to, I'm going to move on with my life. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'll see what happens from there. Yeah, and then, you know, just to kind of wrap up, um, you know, the, at the very end of this movie, I mean, not the very, very end, but, you know, towards the end, you know, after this betrayal happens, um, you know, I really want to just look at real love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Flynn, you know, there's this big escape, you know, with the whole help of this ridiculous horse and all those <laughs> yeah. outcasts from the, the cuddly duckling, um, you know, they help him escape. And he uh, charges full speed with his trusty buddy, the horse, uh, that acts more like a dog, um, to uh, Rapunzel, because he knows that something bad is happening. Yeah. Uh, so he charges, 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 goes, and uh, he climbs in the window, he sees Rapunzel, and he tries to, to tell her, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, but before any of that can happen, he's stabbed by Mother Gothel. Um, the good news was, is that, you know, Rapunzel's hair can heal him, you know, and she is willing to sacrifice um, her freedom to heal him. I will go with you, Mother Gothel, and I won't fight, I won't run, I'll, I'll just be here exactly as you need me to be, um, you know, forever. I'm willing to sacrifice my freedom if you just let me save him, just let me save him. And then Flynn, knowing that she's the only one in that moment that can save his life, but because he cares more about her freedom from evil, Mm -hmm. that he cuts off her hair, sacrificing himself. Uh, You know, and this is just such an incredible image of what real love is. You know, both Mm -hmm. these people are willing to sacrifice. themselves in one way or another because of love and you get to see that in direct contrast with the fake love that you know mother gothel had that only wanted to use and abuse mm-hmm. um rapunzel you know but this the sacrificial love that is illustrated in this story and there's lots of disney stories where they talk about sacrificial love but this one is just really special you know because yeah. it wasn't one-sided they yeah. both were being sacrificial mm-hmm in that moment and that was just such a cool thing to see in you know a Disney movie that's meant for kids yeah I think it's meant equally for adults but you know um, you know it was just a very cool thing to see that kind of sacrificial love and that's something that we see you know throughout the Bible you know I mean there's obviously the sacrificial love of Jesus but there's you know sacrifice written all over the pages of the Bible Mm -hmm. you know that you know people sacrifice uh, comfort and health and wealth for those that they care about and that's uh, at the core of who each and every one of us is, are meant to be and I think it's great that we have uh, Hollywood stories Disney the biggest movie maker out there is they might not be presenting um, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and uh, the gospel of God, but they're definitely communicating some very godly, Christ-centered ideals without using God in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for. Yeah, and that's why we're here. That's why we do this <laughs> podcast, because we want to draw attention to these incredible stories and uh, help not only ourselves, but help all those who are listening to realize that you can find, you know, these kind of stories out there that will help you communicate the sacrificial love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could talk to any kid or kid's parent about the sacrificial love of Jesus and use that ending scene to illustrate what that is like. Yeah. And it's incredible. You know, that we have that ability to use something that's so contemporary as a Disney princess movie to communicate Christ's love. And that's what Real Parables is all about. Yeah. And I am glad that you can join us. Uh, we will be back with you uh, in, next week, and we hope that you can join us then. Uh, once again, I'm Graham, Devin, and Matt. We're ministers at the La Mesa Church of Christ in La Mesa, California. I am so glad that you have spent the last hour with us, and we uh, look forward to doing it again. Bye. Bye.